We're in the midst of a series of lessons that I've entitled Traces of a Trusting Heart. This entire series is built on the timeless truth that trust is the key to all relationships. Trust is the foundation upon which a relationship is built. It is the glue that holds a relationship together. It is the atmosphere in which a relationship breathes. It is the soil in which a relationship grows. Without trust, a relationship simply will not survive. That's true not only in our horizontal relationships with each other, it is also true in our vertical relationship with God. Trust is the key. Now last Sunday in our first lesson, Trust the Mark of God's Character, we answered the question, can I trust God? Citing just eight promises among thousands in the Bible, we discovered that God is in fact 100% reliable and dependable. He is always faithful. We can trust Him. That brings us to our second lesson, Trust the Mark of Our Character. This morning we want to examine the flip side of trust. We want to answer the question, can God trust me? Because remember, trust is a two-way street. On the one hand, I need to know that I can trust God. But on the other hand, God needs to know that He can trust me. In the introduction to her series, Entrusted, Beth Moore explains it this way. Watch with this. We spend so much time and energy and how much conversation, and I'm not saying there's anything uh, wrong with having some of these conversations because we come up against things that are absolutely baffling to us that we cannot understand. Uh, we are human flesh and blood, um, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and there's this war within us at times. What What is it based on what is happening to me now that I can believe about God and His Word? Everybody struggles with that at one time or another. But we're all about, can I trust God? Can I trust God? Can I trust God? If you search, if you keep a journal and you search your journal, if you went back and you thought through conversations, if you've got any kind of journey of faith behind you, how many times have you asked yourself if you could trust God? It's part of our common vocabulary. But this time, God is turning the question and putting it on us in this series. He's saying, listen, I'm looking for who I can trust. Can I trust you? Can I, if I can go so far as to say this based on the word that's being translated here, can I place faith in you? And when I called you, I believed with all of my heart, and of course he has complete foreknowledge, he knows exactly what's going to happen. But with our calling came his conviction, you can be trusted. Will you stand up to that trust? Will you receive that trust or will you not? That is what is on the table. That's why this whole series is called Entrusted because we have been entrusted. He has placed a measure of faith in us. He has given us something. He's asking, can I trust you with this or not? When we're done here, it is all that is going to matter. There are lots of things we're doing on this earth, lots of priorities we have in there. They are important. They're vital. But when all is said and done and we stand before the throne, could we be trusted with what was entrusted to us? So trust is not only a mark of God's character, it must also be a mark of our 
character. Can God trust me? And to help us explore this question, we're going to take a look at Jesus' words in Luke 16, verses 1 through 15. In fact, I'm going to pause right here and I want us to read through this text so that we have a kind of big picture of this text before we move on. So follow along in your Bible, would you? Luke 16, we pick it up with verse 1. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So let's begin with the problem that Jesus tackled. In the previous chapter to this, Luke chapter 15, Jesus tackled the problem of our wrong attitude toward people. How we respond to others, especially those who are outsiders or those who are different, if you will, than what we are. In fact, flip back one page, would you, just real quick in your Bible to Luke chapter 15 and look at verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. (laughs) See the conflict here? A wrong attitude toward people. And in order to set the pious religious leaders straight, Jesus then in the rest of chapter 15 gives a trilogy of well-known parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost or the prodigal son. Then, here in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tackled the problem of our wrong attitude toward possessions. How we respond to money and to things. Now, Jesus was not afraid 
to address the issue of stewardship, how we handle our resources head on. As a matter of fact, 16 of Jesus' 38 different parables actually deal with money and possessions in one way or another. I got to thinking if I followed that same ratio in my preaching, I would have to preach 22 out of 52 Sundays a year on the subject of money and things. Throughout the Bible, prayer is mentioned about 500 times. Faith is referenced about 500 times. But stewardship is referenced over 2,000 times. Why is there so much emphasis on financial management in Scripture? Because God knows that the way that we earn, spend, save, and give our money is more than any other single thing in our lives a direct mark of our trustworthiness. It's a measure of our spiritual maturity. It's an acid test of our relationship with God. It's the indicator of the authenticity of our Christian faith. And so... This passage in Luke 16 is just one of many in which Jesus tackled the problem of money and possessions. And how did Jesus approach this subject? In his usual fashion, by telling a story, a parable. So let's take a closer look at the parable that Jesus told. It all begins in verses 1 and 2 with what I call the accountability of the manager. Look at those verses with me again. Luke 16 verse 1 says, Jesus told His disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So He called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. And immediately we see the two main characters in this parable. The owner, the rich man, who entrusted his personal belongings and property to another, and the manager, the steward, who was responsible to care for the belongings and the property of this rich man. Now, so that we can apply this directly to our lives, we we must not miss the obvious point of Jesus' parable here, and that is that first, God is the owner. God is the owner entrusting everything that He owns to me and to you. James 1 verse 17 puts it this way, every good endowment that we possess and every complete gift that we have received must come from above, from the Father. He's the owner of it all. Secondly, I am the manager. I'm accountable for everything that God has entrusted to my care. I am accountable, because He's the owner, to Him. Because I'm only the manager of it. Romans 14 verse 12 reminds us, each one of us will have to give a personal account to God. There will be a day, even as we see here in this parable, of accountability. Accountability. Perhaps Luke verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 33 sums it up best. In fact, let's read this one out loud together. So then, whoever of you does not surrender claim to all he has cannot be my disciple. You see what Jesus is saying there? We can't even be a follower of Christ unless we surrender ownership 
to everything. It's not my time. It's not my talents. It's not my treasures. It's not mine. It is His. God is the owner. And I am the manager. In other words, He owns it all and I own nothing. I'm accountable to Him for everything that He has entrusted to me. And God is depending upon me to be a reliable and dependable steward. The question is, can God trust me? As the owner, He has certain expectations of me, the manager. In what areas of life? In every area of life. For instance, let me give you seven of them. First, can God trust me in the area of my well-being? Can God trust me in the area of my well-being? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20, Didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place? The place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please? Squandering what God paid such a high price for. God owns the whole work. So let people see God in and through your body. This is a tough one. Because we're talking here about our well-being. We're talking here about our fitness, our health, our bodies, and the care of our bodies and such things as diet and exercise and other health issues that some of us don't do so well at. Can God trust me? in the area of my well-being. Second, can God trust me in the area of my weak? In the area of my weak. Look at Ephesians 5 verses 15 and 16. Live life then with a due sense of responsibility, not as those who do not know the meaning and purpose of life, but as those who do. Make the best use of your time. In other words, time management. (laughs) Your schedule. It's not yours, it's God's. And God is the one that you are responsible and accountable to for how you spend your time, how you spend your week, your moments, your minutes, your seconds. Every one of them you are accountable to God for. Third, can God trust me in the area of my works? Can God trust me in the area of my Works, my actions, my deeds. First Peter 4 verse 10 tells us God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other, passing on to others God's many kinds of blessings. In other words, our gifts, our abilities, our talents, our skills are God's. They've been given to us For us to use for His purpose and for His kingdom and for His glory. And the question is, can God trust me in the area of my works? Next, can God trust me in the area of my wisdom? Can God trust me in the area of my wisdom? Proverbs 2 verse 6 reminds us that all wisdom comes from the Lord. And so do common sense and understanding. They're from God. And we have this mind that God has given us and, and He has entrusted us with this, with this 
trust of the knowledge, the, 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 the wisdom, the understanding, the, the development of our minds. And we are accountable to Him for our wisdom. Then, can God trust me in the area of my words? Can God trust me in the area of my words? This is a big one. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 12, verse 36. You can be sure that on the judgment day, you will give an account for every useless word you have ever spoken. Yeah. <laughs> That's a sobering thought. <laughs> This slippery little critter that gets us in so much trouble all the time with all kinds of lies and gossip and exaggerations and on and on we could go with all the sins of the tongue. I won't go into all those this morning. You know what I'm talking about because you struggle with it as much as I do. And we're going to give an account for our words, our speech, our mouth to the Lord. And then, can God trust me in the area of my witness? In the area of my witness. Interesting, 2 Corinthians 5 verses 19 and 20 says, God has given us the task of telling everyone what He is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us. And in fact, God has no other plan but us. We are the ones who share the testimony of faith with the next generation who shares it with the next generation. Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. You do understand that. And we have the responsibility to share our faith, to share the trust of our testimony of the good news of Jesus Christ and how He has transformed our lives. We have to share that with others. and We are accountable for that witness. One more. Can God trust me in the area of my wealth? Can God trust me in the area of my wealth? Now before you get turned off on that one and say, well, I don't have anything called wealth. <laughs> Let's read Deuteronomy 8 verses 17 and 18 out loud together. Read this with me. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. We've got to remember that. It's He who gives us that ability, the wealth, the, the things, the possessions, the money, the investments, all belong to Him. And we are but managers of it, and we are accountable to Him for every single penny. On and on we could go. For God owns everything. We're only managers of all that He has entrusted to us. And the question then is, can God trust me? That's the accountability of the manager. Well, let's quickly finish up the parable. In verse 3 we see the assessment of the manager. The manager kind of does a little self-talk here, a little self-assessment, if you will. Look at it. Verse 3, The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? <laughs> my master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I am in a pickle. <laughs> Well, I didn't really say that, but I just kind of thought I'd add that. Because <laughs> that's what he's saying, is he not? Yes. I'm between a rock and a hard place. Boy, I really wasn't expecting this accountability to come. 
I thought I could cook the books. You know, I thought I could straighten it all out before this audit happened. And the audit happened sooner than I thought it would. And I wasn't ready for it. And what in the world am I now going to do? Which leads us to the last portion of the parable, which is the action of the manager. Pick it up in verse 4. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. Half. (laughs) Pretty good deal. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. And on and on he went down through the accounts receivable. You see what he's doing here? He's making a path for himself. (laughs) And he's cheating to take care of me. And it says at the beginning of verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted Shrewdly, We'll come back to that in just a moment. But that's the parable that Jesus told, which brings us then to the principles that Jesus taught. Because in the balance of this parable, the end of verse 8 through verse 15, Jesus draws out four eternal principles about trust. As we consider the question, can God trust me? Here are four timeless truths that we must understand and apply to our everyday lives. Number one, trust must never be deferred. Trust must never be deferred. Look at the end of verse 8 and verse 9. It says, for the people of this world, Jesus said, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. I tell you, use worldly wealth, Jesus says, to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, there's some stuff to chew on there. Again, in the parable, when the untrustworthy manager realized that he'd been caught, He did something very quickly about it. He made friends with several of the owner's debtors, hoping that they would then be kind to him after he lost his job. And the owner does commend the manager for his shrewdness. Doesn't mean that he approved of the manager's actions, by the way. Actually, I think the lesson Jesus draws here from all of this is that unbelievers are sometimes so much smarter than believers are in financial matters. I think that's what he says at the end of verse 8. The point is, if the untrustworthy manager could use what was entrusted to him to influence others in a wrong way, when are we ever going to learn to use what God has entrusted to us, worldly wealth as Jesus calls it, to influence people in the right way? Can God trust us to use the resources that He has given to us, our time, our skills and abilities, our money, to gain friends, as, God, as Jesus says here, to win friends and influence people for the kingdom. I mean, isn't that the meaning of verse 9? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's saying, you can use the influence of your money, the influence of your resources to make a difference, an eternal difference 
in the lives of people around you. The best investment of your money is kingdom investment. So that when you get to heaven, there are going to be people walking up to you that are going to say, I'm here because of you. Now there's an awesome thought. Chew on that one for a while. Furthermore, we must demonstrate our trustworthiness now. Not later. Today. Not tomorrow. We must not be like the unworthy manager here in this parable who deferred or who procrastinated. Perhaps he thought to himself, I'm not going to get caught in this. I'm going to fix things before the audit comes. It's not going to matter today that I'm mismanaging all of this. Oops. Friends, when it comes to being a faithful, dependable, reliable steward, it's not something we can put off. We must use all that God has entrusted to us today, now, for kingdom purposes. Let me ask you, can God trust you? Or are there areas in your life right now where you are deferring? where you are procrastinating. Perhaps you're saying to yourself, I know I ought to be a better steward of my money. I know I ought to be a better steward of my time. I know I ought to be a better steward of my abilities and of my health and of my testimony. And I would say, well then what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Don't get caught. when it's too late. Because trust never, ever can be deferred. Number two, trust must always be deserved. Trust must always be deserved. Look at verses 10 through 12. Jesus says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? See, trust is only given when trust is deserved. Because trust has to be earned And the more I demonstrate that I can be trusted, the more that I will be trusted with. If I cannot be trusted with little, why would God ever trust me with much? Again, the question is, can God trust me? By the way, don't get caught up in when and then thinking. When I get a million dollars, then I'll give it all to God. (laughs) No, you won't. Because if you can't be trusted with the one dollar you have in your pocket right now, why would God ever trust you with a million dollars you're hoping to win in the lottery this week? Doesn't work that way. Verse 11 tells us that God the owner wants to trust you and me with true riches. Do you see that? I mean, yes, some incredible blessings in store for us. However, if we are not trustworthy with the worldly wealth that we already have, God is not about to trust us with true riches. And I wonder as I read that, how many blessings do we miss out on because of our unfaithfulness? And don't miss verse 12. 
If we cannot be trustworthy in our handling of somebody else's property, what makes us think we'll ever be trusted with our own property? Let me pause there for just a moment and give a couple applications to that, can I? I often talk to young couples who are starting out or people who are renting apartments or homes they don't actually own. And sometimes I run into this attitude of, well, it's not mine, I, you know, they'll fix it. And when they leave their place of rental, it's a shamble. <laughs> That's wrong. I mean, if you're renting a place, you ought to take even better care of it than if it was your own. You ought to be living in it. It ought to be immaculate. And it ought to be the best place it can possibly be. And certainly when you leave it, it ought to be in better condition than when you moved in. Let me talk to you a moment about supplies and equipment at work. You know the number one crime in America today is employees stealing from employers. Doing personal things on company time when they're on the clock or, or taking, you know, thing, oh, they're not going to miss this pencil, they're not going to miss this piece of paper, they're not going to miss this. It costs billions of dollars in losses to businesses across the United States every single year. And it ought not to be so. Because if you can't be entrusted with somebody else's property, you'll never be able to be trusted with your own. Or how about our church facilities? Do you ever think about that? When you see a scrap of paper down on the floor, do you pause and pick it up because it matters to you that you want to take care of this place? When you open something, do you close it? When you turn it on, do you turn it off? When you unlock it, do you lock it again? Do you care for the facilities and the equipment and the things that God has entrusted to our care? Uh, We ought to be taking the best care of this place. One more. (laughs) Since I'm stepping all over my toes and yours too. (laughs) Things we borrow. Do you return them in a timely fashion? And when you return them, do you return them cleaner and better than when you borrowed them? Okay, enough. Again, the question is, can God trust me? Because trust must always be deserved. Number three, trust must never be diluted. Trust must never be diluted. Look at verse 13. No one can serve two masters... Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's what we call the law of servanthood. Simply put, we cannot, it is absolutely impossible to serve two masters simultaneously because loyalty cannot be divided. Priorities cannot be unclear. Allegiance cannot be mixed. Trust cannot be diluted. We cannot sit on the fence. We cannot straddle the line. We must make up our minds who or what is going to be number one in our lives. Will we give our devotion to God or will we give our devotion to the things of this world? Because you can't do both. You understand that. Jesus didn't say, most people can't serve two masters. No, He said, no one. No one. 
Again, the issue is trust. Can I trust God? Yes, but can God trust me? That's the question. Trust must never be diluted. Number four, trust must always be dissected. Trust must always be dissected. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Don't miss those words. But God knows your hearts. We may justify ourselves, we may fool others, we may even delude ourselves about our trustworthiness, but God knows our hearts. He dissects us, He cuts through all the pretense, and He knows whether or not we are being trustworthy with what He has entrusted to us to manage. Therefore, if He knows it, then we might as well be transparent we may as well do an honest self-evaluation of our trust. And so, we come to the other insert in your bulletin table. Would you take that? The kind of ivory-colored one here. It's called self-evaluation. It's a homework assignment. A way for you to dissect your own trustworthiness using the same seven areas of trust that I mentioned earlier. Let me right now just walk you through this exercise. I I don't want you to check any boxes right now, okay? I want to ask that you would wait and actually take the self-evaluation at home when you can get by yourself and prayerfully and carefully consider each of these areas. Let me just walk you through this right now. It starts with the first area of my well-being. Am I pleasing God with my physical fitness and health? And you'll check a box. Again, not right now, but later. Not at all, partially, completely. Notice it says underneath that I need to be a better manager by. In other words, under each one of these, it'll be the same. What can I do in the area of my physical fitness and health? What can I do in the area of managing my body that God has entrusted to me and my well-being? What can I do to be a better steward in that area? You could make a list, I'm sure, like I could. The second area is my week. Have I surrendered my schedule and time to God? Again, you check a box Sundays only, when convenient, most of the time, all of the time. And again, underneath that, I need to be a better manager by and prayerfully consider what do you need to do to be a better time manager for God's glory? The third area is the area of my works. Am I using my gifts and abilities to wholeheartedly serve God. And again, some boxes. I don't even know my shape. That's an acronym we use here, by the way. Spiritual gifts, hard abilities, personality, and experiences. Your shape that is unique that God has given to you. I don't even know what my shape is. I used to serve. Yeah, clear back a long time ago. I'm going to serve, maybe, possibly in the future. Yes, I serve wholeheartedly. You just check whichever one meets your description. And again, I need to be a better manager by what could you do to better be a steward of all the talents and the, and the abilities and the skills and the gifts, spiritual gifts that God has given to you. The fourth area is my wisdom. Do I guard my mind and increase my knowledge for God's glory? I never thought about it. I want to learn how. I'll always try my best. And again, I need to be a better manager by what what could you do to be a better manager of your mind, of the knowledge and wisdom that God has entrusted to you? On the backside, my words. Do I honor God and build up others by what I say? Not very often. 
once in a while, most of the time, always. Again, I need to be a better manager. What, what do you need to do to get control of this slippery little creature called your tongue? <laughs> then there's the area of my witness. Do I intentionally show and share the good news with others? Never. Only when I think about it. I'm afraid to. I don't know how. Every opportunity I get. Again, I need to be a better manager. How do you need to be a better manager of this sacred trust of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, your personal testimony that has been entrusted to you to share with others? And then finally, the area of my wealth. Do I acknowledge God's ownership as steward of His money and possessions? I'm surprised to learn God owns everything. I manage some things, not others. I only manage a tithe, 10%, or I'm a faithful manager of it all, 100%. I need to be a better manager by. What do you need to do? What step, practical step or two could you take to be a better steward of the money, the things that God has entrusted to your care? Now again, let me urge you to carve out some time. I would suggest today, no later than tomorrow, to prayerfully and carefully complete this self-evaluation exercise because trust, I believe, must always be dissected. Traces of a trusting heart. Today we've looked at trust, the mark of our character, and the question is, can God trust me? Am I reliable and dependable? Am I a faithful steward? Can God trust me to be a trustworthy manager of all that He has entrusted to my care? Let's read 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2 out loud together as we conclude. Would you read it with me? It is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Again, the question is, can God trust me? Let's pray. God, it's a whole other thing to look at the opposite side of this question. Last week, when we asked the question, can I trust God, we answered with a resounding, yes! Yes! This week it's a little different, quite honestly. When we ask the question, can God trust me? Thank you for the sobering time that we've had in your Word today to look at these areas of our lives. Everything that you have entrusted to our care. And God, we just want to say to you this morning that we... Declare that you are the owner of everything. That we are but managers of all that you have chosen to entrust to our care. So, to those who have been given a trust, we must be proven faithful. Help us to be faithful, I pray. God, I pray that You could trust us. That we would be reliable and dependable and faithful in everything that You've entrusted to our care. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.